0: why, but Chris got nervous when I had the whiteboard and marker up here. <laughs> Chris got excited, or nervous. Liz got excited. Oh man, now you're putting the pressure on me. You guys go sit in the back. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, got sent to the office. Cool. Let's, oh, that's the microphone. It's like, what do I got hanging here? I thought it was my sunglasses. Uh, <clears throat> Let's open up in a word of prayer before we get going into this. Uh, Father God, thank you for your amazing grace. Um, As I just sat here and listened to everybody sing, God, um, Chris said you guys all sounded good. I thought this church sounded good, God, your church. And I thank you for bringing us together in worship and unity, in corporate worship, unified one body, praising your name and placing our faith in Christ alone, God. I pray today, God, as we are sitting here today, that your Holy Spirit would be in this place, that you would work in and through me, and not only me, God, but that you would work in and through the hearts and minds and ears and eyes of everybody here, God, to hear what you have to say, that your Holy Spirit would convict those that need to be convicted, and and that they would feel that conviction and know that it's not shame or guilt, God, but that it's from you and your Holy Spirit, and that something's happening and something's going on inside, and they would feel that presence of your Holy Spirit, God, and that they would repent and believe. Lord, I thank you for just each and every person here. And I lay myself aside, God, and just pray you'd speak in and through me, Lord. And I say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to go Chris-style today. <laughs> but uh, so let's, uh, let's do a quick recap. Uh, what we've been going through in the book of Romans. Uh, we've been camping out here for quite a long time already. This is uh, week, I think, Five in just chapter two, week five or you This week four, and we got one more week. So we five weeks in just chapter two, and, and the last time we have like mention of the gospel in the letter to the Romans is back in verse uh, or in chapter one. And we begin going through lately God's wrath on the unrighteous, His righteous judgment, and now the judgment and the law. And, and I want to share what stuck out to me in this. Uh, it was Pastor Tony's sermon a few weeks ago. Frog and I have talked about it, or Nathan Frog, I know him as Frog, you guys might call him Nathan. Anyways, we, uh, we've talked about it quite a bit. One of the things that stuck out to me is that I am an insolent and haughty person. When he was breaking down those definitions of insolent and haughty, I was like, oh man, that sounds a lot like me. And so, amen. <laughs> if you miss that, my wife just said Amen. So the Lord really <laughs> revealed those to me and is convicting me of those, and I hope he starts working on me in those things soon because it was not fun to sit through that and be like, oh man, that was not fun. But uh, yeah, anyways. So now this week, uh, let's read Romans 2, 17 through 25, and then I'll kind of, you guys get to jump on this crazy train of where my mind goes with things. If you have a Bible, Romans chapter 2, Verse 17 through 25, if you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. If you want a Bible, there's one in the back there. If you got a Bible app, open up your Bible app. See? All right. Verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you were instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing? Do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of the God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is God's word. Oh, we forgot 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. This is God's word. So first first and first, mostly, instead of first and foremost, first and first, mostly, uh, this seems to be on hypocrisy again. And as I was reading and studying, and I shared with Chris this morning, I don't Tony, I don't know where you disappeared to, but, uh, and I shared, I talked to my wife about this. As I was reading this, and it was on hypocrisy again, I, I started reading and meditating on it, and like, I had that like God fear strike moment, where it's like, man, God, Am I being a hypocrite in something? What am I doing? This is the second time that I'm having to preach on this message. What are you telling me right now? So I went to my wife, and I asked her the same thing. I'm like, am I a hypocrite? What am I doing? What's wrong? And she like, encouraged me to just spend time in prayer and just really asking the Lord, like, if there is something, to reveal it to me. And if not, like, what's he speaking to you in this? So this, this led me, as I thought and meditated on this, Like, I'm going to take you guys on this crazy train of where my mind goes with things and where it's leading me and what it has to do with this. And so it led me into thinking as I spent time in prayer, I didn't feel like the Lord was revealing to me, like, Nick, you're a hypocrite. You suck. Get out of here. Beat it. So uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit was really speaking to me and, and to talk about the Holy Spirit some here. And th- I started thinking about the first time I felt the Holy Spirit. Do you guys remember? Can you guys recall the time like when you felt the Holy Spirit? Like the, for the very first time? I remember my first time, and I shared it here a lot. And I would say, I would argue, back then I didn't know what the heck that feeling was. But now that I look back on that moment, seven, well not seven, how long is it? 13 years ago, not seven years ago, is in 2007. I got confused. But looking back on that moment now, like that's when I felt the Holy Spirit for the first time. If you don't know my story, what happened was as a kid, I went to youth group, Pastor Sean Bagley, he would come meet with us. He started planting the seed. When we got older, Jess and I had some problems with uh, just being stupid kids. And I started going to church. She told me it was an ultimatum. If we're going to still be together, you're going to go to church and I was like, all right, whatever, I'm in, and so I started going, and I remember sitting in church service, and listening to the, or hearing the song, When the Music Fades by Matt Redman, and as I'm doing that, as I'm singing this song, like, there's all these well of emotions going on inside of me, and like, I just start, like, bawling, like, teenage girl snot bubble like tears running down my face bawling and I'm just singing at the top of my lungs and I don't know what the heck's going on or what this feeling is and I go up after service to receive prayer and I talk to uh, Pastor Sean and he tells me or he asked me what do you need prayer for and like I felt like I couldn't talk I just shake my head Nick, what's wrong? I just shake my head again. And then he says, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And I shake my head again. And he asked me a question that changed my life that day. And he says, do you want one? And I felt like I could speak. I felt like the floodgates have opened. I felt a weight lift off my shoulders and a resounding yes came out. And so we prayed that day and I accepted Jesus into my life, and I was changed from that day forward. And that's the first time I felt the Holy Spirit, that I remember feeling the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, I, I, I share this too because your story is not going to look like my story. Like, I feel like I had this cloud moment, like, cloud breaking moment. And like the Holy Spirit descended on me. And when I share that, people are like, man, I don't remember feeling that way when I got saved. And it's like, well, that's okay. It's different. And and it made me think of like on the road uh, when Philip is going to, is it Galilee? Oh, I got it in my notes. Yes. (laughs) And Philip's on the road and he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch. And he's reading the book of Isaiah. And he invites Philip up into his carriage. And he... He explains to him what's going on in this book of Isaiah, and it's more of like this steady, like he's searching it out and he finds it. It wasn't like this big moment breaking open, although like what happened after that, he baptized him and Philip disappears and is carried away by the Spirit. But my point is, yeah, <laughs> if my story is different from your story, and that's okay. So why, the, why are we talking about the Holy Spirit? Well, let's turn to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. That would be way faster for me to just read it on the board. Yep. Okay. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Will you keep that up? Oh yeah, you man. Thanks, TJ. When we heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Just like the signature on a dotted line or the seal on a government document, the seal of the Spirit authenticates us and we're included in Christ. It secures our identity and marks us as his possession. And apart from that spirit, apart from the Holy Spirit, we would not believe in Christ. We would not have our eyes open to Christ. We would not have our heart open to the realities of the promises of his word. We have something. We have something special. We have this treasure did I, pull up, did I put in Matthew 13, 44 and 45? I sure did. Look at it. I'm on top of things this week. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we see in this, this, this parable that Jesus is talking about is that we have this treasure. We have this grace given to us. And these, these parables, they talk about giving up everything for this treasure that we have, this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift of grace, this gift of who Jesus is. And they give up everything for this gift. And we're going to focus in on this gift of grace. And I'm going to, this is why I got the board, in case you're wondering. We're going to talk about three ways that I kind of observe the grace of God and the treasure given and how it can be misused. So I'm going to write here. I have terrible handwriting. (laughs) Abused grace. Oh, I forgot the E. And I need some class participation. How do we abuse grace? Keep singing. If I'm safe, why do I have to behave? Why behave? Being kind. Jen, you had one at Tuesday night group when we were talking about uh, how are we playing games at, J- at the feet of Jesus? Do you remember what it was? Um, about um, if you do this for me, I'll go to church every Sunday. Or... So, yep. If God then I'll... So what you're saying is, is we, we play games, we abuse that grace, and God if you do this for me, then I'll I'll be to church every Sunday. Or if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. So that's one way. Uh, you know, those are, Does anybody have any, anything else? Sorry. Yeah. Ooh, that's our next one. Secret grace. And what I mean by secret grace is we're at work um, or or wherever we spend an amount of time. Work is where we usually spend time outside of our home. And I've got this grace and this treasure. And it's near and dear to me, and I I just have it, and I'm going to hold it close. But I don't want anybody else to know that, that I have Jesus and that I have this grace. And I don't want these people in my workplace to know that I praise Jesus and I do all these things. And then, finally, one day we meet another secret Christian and they have their secret grace and we're like, you go to Price Chapel, I go to gospel community. We can be secret Christian friends. And the gospel and nothing is ever shared and people don't know that, you're, that you've got this gift of grace. We have this secret grace and we just, we just keep it to ourselves. Don't let anybody know. Don't let anybody in. And it's mis- grace again is, is misused. Does anybody want to ha- add anything on to secret grace? Do you guys get okay, using it to create division? Yeah. We have this, and we're not going to talk about it, and it's going to divide us. That's an N, in case you can't tell. <laughs> And it's going to divide us. Um, our relationship is like our business. It's our, yeah. Place, you know, yeah, our business. It's our business. It comes to me on that secret phrase. It's, uh, you know, I'm allowed to raise from God. No ooh Pedestal grace. That's my last one. Thanks, Tony. You did my transition for me. We're on fire today. huh? Yeah, we rehearsed that. We had some cues. Uh, Pedestal grace. I'm guessing what you guys uh, can figure this out, but this week I've been trying to figure out some illustrations and whatnot to go on, and and, uh, Frog and I, we go to the gym in the mornings, and we have a lot of really good conversations, and we're talking about these challenge stones. And what challenge stones are, if you've never heard of them, we actually were talking about strongman competitions and where they lift them big. They call them atlas stones onto them big things. And then they go to the next one. And it's a bigger, heavier stone. and They got to get it higher. And they lift these giant stones up onto like these pillars. But that led us into talking about challenge stones. An ancient Scottish uh, uh, heritage. What's the word I'm looking for? Culture. Thank you, Liz. An ancient... Scottish culture, they would have these challenge stones and they would be set up out in a field and there would be this pedestal set up and it would say, this is the McDonald's, like, I'm sorry, I'm probably doing it some injustice, but this is the McDonald family clan. These families are a part of it. If you want to be a part of it, you've got to lift this giant stone up onto this pillar. And the purpose was to show that, like, the people that were going to be a part of this clan were strong enough to defend like the rest of the clan, and be a part of that clan. And so they would have to go up and and take that challenge stone and place it up on there, and if they couldn't get it, maybe they'd go train or or do push-ups or whatever they did back then, and they would come back and they'd try and do it till they could do it. And they would have have to place those stones up there. So next week, we're going to set a pillar up out here, in case you guys are wondering, and we're going to have some challenge stones set up. We're going to, you guys are all going to have to take this, do these challenge zones, and we want to make sure that you're strong enough to handle the Word of God. And so we're going to set these up, but me and my wife and Tony and Jen and Chris and Maria, they, we don't have to do it because we're already pastors here. We've already proven ourselves. <laughs> right? Sounds ridiculous, right? This is what Paul's addressing that they, are, they have this pedestal grace, that they have their law, that they have their customs, and the Gentiles can't meet these laws and these customs, and they've put this grace up on a pedestal. And this is what Paul addresses. And he's letting them know, like, you're not doing a service to God by putting his grace up on this pedestal and holding up the law. When we do that same thing, you know, it made me, when I was thinking about like pedestal grace and and customs and stuff like that, I've heard like horror stories of, of new pastors coming in to a church and they have their communion table set up and they have a purple cloth that they set up every week. And the new pastor came in one week and the purple cloth looked dirty and dingy. So he went and got a new white one and put it underneath the communion table. And like the elders of the church got upset with him that he didn't use the purple cloth, and it was just... And, and I've read and seen stories like time and time again of like those, those customary things that we do. And this is what Paul's addressing. And he's letting them know like the law, it wasn't meant to show you that you can do it without the Messiah. The law was meant to show you how much you need the Messiah. How special that treasure is. I lost my train of thought here. I'm in Ezekiel, that's why. And what, what they're doing is when they do these things, like I said, they're not doing a service to God. And Paul tells them, for it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. One version I read, uh, oh, it's you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. By doing those things, we're dishonoring God. We're giving him a bad name. We're not doing him any justice. And one of the things that I thought of uh, among, among, like, an illustration of how that works, too, is in, in my workplace. You know, about a year ago, I was in a really bad mental state of mind, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, dealing with some depression. And in my workplace, I would go to work, man, and I just was spiteful. I was I wouldn't talk to my boss, but I'd talk about my boss in a bad way that dishonored him. And I could see how those seeds were working through the company and how other people would dishonor God. And that's what Paul is addressing here. When they're doing these things and they're holding up their customs and their laws, they're doing a dishonor to God. And it's leading, I feel like, because the the, the, uh, Gentiles... They didn't have this uh, pedestal grace, but I feel like this is where it led the Gentiles to be. Like, well, they got the law and they they are holding it up above where we can't reach it, so we're just going to abuse grace and we're going to keep doing what we do because they do what they do, and it created this division in the church. But the good news is, you look like you had something to say there. The good news is it isn't about you. The good news is it isn't about where we'll go even. The good news is about who came down and what he did. Yeah, that's right. The good news is about who came down and what he did. We don't hold on to that treasure because uh, we know that we're going to get to heaven. We hold on to that treasure because of who he is. And we feel compelled and moved by the Holy Spirit to speak about who he is. The good news is is that he left his kingdom. He left his throne. He came here and was born a child in humility, a humble birth in a manger, and he lived the perfect life, and he was wrongfully accused. He was beaten and hung on the cross. The good news is about who came down and what he did. Mark 1, 14 and 15 says this. This is what Jesus says about the good news, about the gospel. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is heaven. Here's earth and here's Jesus. This collision course course, course. Heaven has come down. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the good news is, is that heaven and earth have collided in the person of Jesus. That he stands as our mediator between sin, Satan, and death. And we do a dishonor to God. We do a a, a terrible service to God. I wouldn't even call it a service. We don't do a service to God when we put his grace on a pedestal. When we act like hypocrites and we tell them, do as I say, not as I do. and we abuse the grace given. But the grace given glorifies the giver. The grace given glorifies the giver. When we see that gift of grace, when we're moved by the Holy Spirit, and we have that treasure, that grace given glorifies the giver. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace. I pray, God, as we go throughout each and every day, God, that we would rely on your Holy Spirit, God, to convict us of those moments where we have abused grace where we have our secret grace and where we have our pedestal grace, that you would draw us into you and help us to see what the given grace is, God. That you came down not so that we can abuse it and and hold to these customs and standards, God, but so that we can glorify you and honor you and lift high your name. And God, I know I go through seasons of abusing grace, of secret grace, and uh, pedestal grace. And I pray if someone's here and they feel convicted and they're in any one of those seasons, God, that you would draw them to a place of repentance and open their hearts to you and that they would feel the move of the Holy Spirit to get out of that moment. That they would be reminded that they're sealed by the promised Holy Spirit and that they're guaranteed because Jesus paid the price. Because that's who it's all about. I pray, Lord, if we become a church that holds to pedestal grace and has all these customs, that you would break us of that, that you would send people boldly forth to say, hey, this isn't right, this isn't the gospel, this isn't grace And that we repent, Lord. I thank you for gathering us here together, God. And I say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.